Since this commentary was recorded, I'm delighted to say that the oft-mentioned Vincent Brimble, who plays Tarpok in Warriors of the Deep, has returned to Doctor Who in Village of the Angels, and this time you can see his face. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, ask a friend of mine to choose their favourite things about a Doctor Who story, and then I have to see if I can identify what those favourite things are. Hello, Toby. My name is Jonathan Morris, and I'm a writer. I write Doctor Who stories for Big Finish, I write um, articles for Doctor Who magazine, and I've recently written a huge, co-written a huge book for BBC Books called Doctor Who The Monster Vault. Uh, so I'm quite well versed in all things Doctor Who. The story I've chosen is the um, Peter Davison classic adventure from 1984, Warriors of the Deep, uh, because um, this has a great place of affection in my heart because it's one of the first ones I got on video, so I have probably seen Warriors of the Deep more times than I have seen anything else in my life, and I dearly love it. Um, I am completely and deliberately blind to all its flaws. I think it is a true classic, very, very exciting, and brilliantly written, directed and acted. Special effects, um, absolute perfection from start to finish, as I'm sure you will observe when you do your, your watch. Well, hello. It's episode one of Warriors of the Deep, so let's see if we can sync up our viewing by all pressing play at the same time in three two one well hello everybody uh we're going back to i think january 1984 this was broadcast because i seem to recall because it was certainly before the start of school i had been sent off to boarding school so i missed i missed doctor who up this season well i didn't the vicar taped it for me but that's another story apart from the first of the season which must have started before school did and i just i think i just know it's Jan january 1984 but before i went back to school and i certainly w remember watching the first couple of episodes at my friend ollie's grand's house uh, and it was so exciting because it had been announced in the Doctor Who Radio Times 20th anniversary special, which I still have a copy of in a in a drawer upstairs. Not in as good nick as I'd like. Uh, saying, you know, it gave a brief precy of all the stories. It had done all the stories that, that had been out. And that was a, I mean, that was a, 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 a treasure trove of hitherto undiscovered delights and uh, and then at the end it said and here's a preview of what's coming up which doctor who is celebration the other great publication of doctor who's 20th anniversary which covered some of the same ground as the radio times but it didn't have the what was coming up it had longer descriptions and behind the scenes facts from the stories that had come before but it didn't have uh, info about what was coming next and um yeah, and all we knew was that the Silurians and the Sea Devils were back and together, which seemed like such an obvious thing. It was really exciting 
reading that the sea devils were related to the Silurians, which, you know, one had done when one uh, uh, discovered the history of the show, which the Target books didn't tell you. you. You know, the Target covers didn't tell you. So it was when you discovered, you realized, oh, actually, the, the you know, it's all weaved together. And I liked, loved the idea that they were sort of, the sea devils were was cousins to the Silurians. And then the idea that they'd appear in the same story. This was going to be amazing. Uh And nobody really likes Warriors of the Deep that much. Oh, I love the hidden spaceship there. Um, but I've got a bit of a confession to make. I have a soft spot for Warriors of the Deep because it is my favourite genre of story, which is lots of people trapped in a place, uh, many of whom die. <laughs> I don't know why. And they don't even have to be necessarily... The most interesting characters, which I'm not sure they are in this story, but that kind of works because there's a sort of stoical 50s B-movie thing going on about the characters and indeed the acting, which I'm not sure is deliberate, but I still adore. Uh, Davidson's hair is very short here, isn't it? Used to him being a bit sort of uh, floppier. I think he's been filming something else. But... Um, but yes, I, I, I mean, I, I remember, you know, certain things about this disappointing one, which maybe we will discuss, but I hope not. I'll be interested to see what it is that Johnny likes about it. His is obviously very tied in with his childhood, which is absolutely fair enough for the purposes of this exercise. You can choose whatever you like. Um I don't think the the, the, the the sort of the sea-based costumes have dated particularly. I think we'd probably make them less shiny and colourful, but I think I think that sort of thing will go in and out of... There is a bit of an 80s vibe. Oh, a little bit of film, uh, a probe on film. Um, I, I'm not sure we'll ever go to having... Uh, quite the, that sort of makeup on our on our on our on our sea base cruise although maddox is looking suitably sweaty which i like um in fact it's an incredibly good set here from tony burrow uh uh and they're really largely quite solid looking and and you know the gleaming white thing yeah, it's not what one imagined. It's certainly not what the script editor imagined, is he? he, he, he and the script writer, sorry, imagined, uh, you know, rust and metal and rivets and all of that, which is kind of how I imagined the arc in space. So I know the gleaming white thing. I know the logic behind it. It's cold. It's clinical. Uh, that kind of works for one kind of atmosphere. But actually, oh, he just knocked, he just knocked his Silurian panel there. That, that this is great they did not wake up as we had planned in the first place um there's something about a monster saying in the first place that is rather quaint uh i adore the fact that it's my friend vincent brimble i will perhaps go into that a little bit later i have lots of weird little connections with this story that might be of interest to me and nobody else but vincent is a fine actor here at the bottom of the credits playing tarpok uh who was originally, I believe, well, they were Skibus and Tarpok. Oh, and Skibus I have a connection with as well. I had some friends at university who were amused every time I said 
excellent Skibbus. So they actually got a cat and called the cat Skibbus. My dear friend Sarah, um, who now knows Billy off of Delta and the Bannermen, it all winds together, uh, uh, kept the cat called Skibbus. Um, but Tarpok, they were originally called First Companion and Second Companion, Skibbus and Tarpok. And then I think they figured, let's give them names, it's only fair. Always looks better on your CV to have a name, even if it's Tarpok. But he and he was originally called Tanpon, uh, and I'm not going to tell you probably the thought processes behind, behind why they thought they should change that name. Goodness me, I'm not. I don't want to be X-rated. Um, I remember thinking Maddox was a bit weedy when I first saw this, and then when I got it years later on video, which I got quite late because it was one that I had seen and. I think I didn't particularly care for it. Uh, being very impressed with what Martin Neal does in actually quite a difficult part. Nobody wants to play the sort of moany ingenue, well, you know, sort of apprentice, apprentice nuclear guy uh, who's under pressure and being manipulated. It's it's all fairly thankless stuff stuff to do, and I actually think he does a very very decent job of it. And I remember being quite pleased. He, he became a bit of a semi-regular in a thing called Down to Earth with Warren Clark and Pauline Quirk quite some time later. So his career had sustained. And he did. I've got a feeling, was he in a bit of Secret Army Orchestra or something? I may have mistaken that. Um, uh, whereas uh, Nitsa Saul, who plays Karina, was definitely in uh, Kessler. Um Sentinel Seven, and I don't remember this. Uh, again, I remember getting this on video, and this sequence was absolute news to me. I'd not remembered the uh, the uh, the episode delaying appearance of Sentinel Seven. It all ties in, of course, because the, down down in the sea base, they say, "Oh, we've picked up one of our probes has picked up an object," so that gets everybody on alert. So it it sort of ties in, but. Uh, um, this 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 would probably be quickly dispensed with, if used at all in uh, in in modern here. Who Davison has that breathless kind of. He's actually for an actor that doesn't look or remind you really in any way of Patrick Troughton. He has that sort of breathy urgency that Troughton gives everything. Uh, and 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 Troughton is probably his his. Well, he's got a bit Harley when he gets tetchy as well. He's very clever, Davison. I think he's such a good actor. Um, and I love uh, <laughs> the fact that uh, Pennant Roberts, the director, when he was presented with all male casts, would always uh, turn a couple of characters into women. That probably doesn't seem particularly bold now. Then I think it, it, it was. And he's, to his credit, in fact, he gets a lot of stick, Pennant Roberts. He would cast women in male roles without changing any of the dialogue, which means we get Ingrid Pitt as Solo. How well that pays off is up to you. Um, but Preston was also male, and we get Tara Ward playing the part. Um, I remember watching this with some friends from university, and they thought that locking away in a strong box until our task is completed was a an absurd line. It is quite... Yeah, it is quite a quite a laboured uh, analogy, metaphor, whatever, you know, you know, it's, yeah, it's quite, quite a laboured way of saying, don't let your conscience bother you, lock it away in a strong box, seems um, odd, odd uh, imagery to invoke, um, 
But the other thing Pennant Roberts did was that whilst he liked using people he'd used before, he would also, I think, earmark a couple of parts for actors he didn't know, he didn't work with, or were new. And again, those two things, the turning male parts into female parts and using people he'd not used before, giving people a break, may sound tiny little things. They are huge in a profession where breaking through is difficult, where at this time, you know, having female parts that weren't rubbish was quite difficult. Um, so although he gets some stick for some aspects of his direction, uh, we can't all be good at everything. And I think those two sides of him, and apparently I never had the pleasure. Apparently he was an absolutely lovely fella. Um, and Tony Burrow is an Oscar-nominated designer who uh, designed these sets. He got an Oscar nomination for, I think, the Richard III that... Uh, Ian McKellen did on film um, uh, and he designed The Keeper of Traken as well and For to Doomsday uh, he's a very very good designer and there's there's you know the mult the, the double layer of this this set set you know gives it sturdiness gives it space there's an argument of course to say what it needs is sturdiness sure but less space and more crampedness uh, you know you, you'd lower the ceiling you'd make it like a submarine underwater claustrophobic i buy that argument uh but i don't think we lose a hundred percent for having the slightly in in, in a doctor a series that can sometimes feel cramped now you see if the lighting was like this for the whole thing it would look extraordinary uh bit of darkness bit of red light um so i yeah so i i, I understand johnny burn the script writer's disappointment that it was it was perhaps a, a, a bit brighter than he had hoped um but you but you can see that the designer was actually you know and you've got the double double set there with you could see the feet of of, of guards sort of walking on the second layer which again sort of just opens it up and gives the picture a bit more scope than normal i i used to love tegan's dress i quite 80s but i adored tegan's dress at this time there's a brilliant picture that came with the doctor who radio times 20th anniversary special that is tegan in that dress turlow and the doctor with a bit of dry ice and that adorned my bedroom wall for many many years uh uh and this this red lighting is very very effective this is atmospheric and of course this the idea of in 1984 um I, yeah, they said this is set in 2084, so exactly 100 years in the future. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think we're now less keen to have such patterns, and you, you'd be more impressive if you set it 103 years in the future or whatever. Um, it just seems a little too neat. Uh, but um, the the whole nuclear thing was big. I mean, the, the BBC did a, a nuclear war season. I'm... And, and and did they show they certainly showed the war game by uh peter what's his face uh and uh which was a mock documentary about what would happen in the event of a nuclear strike uh and it was the most terrifying thing i've ever seen simply because it was so unshowy black and white had people like Michael Aspel playing news reporters. It was a faux documentary. It scared the life out of me, and I thought I was going to die. 
uh, and and you know the threat of nuclear war was very real. Uh, when the wind blows, uh, it was it, said for Zachariah. You know, the, it was it was something we were very preoccupied with the fact that two superpowers uh, locked in this sort of stalemate staring each other out all it would take would be one loony with his finger on the bitten and we'd be in button and we'd be in trouble um i i wonder how the orders are given in terms of um wearing your makeup on the sea base because it's uh it's 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 quite i'm gonna and i wonder what the thinking is i mean again it's the 80s isn't it so but but you know if you're doing alien the whole thing about alien was that uh, it was more down to earth. People had dirty cloths. People had open shirts. People sweated a bit. People, you know, didn't wash. It was, and that's what had been the major breakthrough with it. So it does seem a little bit retro. A few years later, to go, no, no. What we need to do is um, give people eyeshadow and blusher. And uh, uh, yes, Pennant, we know you've cast uh, a woman in a man's role, but she's going to get a whackload of uh, lipstick. Uh, I do like, I do like that little bit of business where. <laughs> they go to the the doctor and Turlo try to open the door one way and Tegan just very casually slides it open the other way Skibus, Iktar and Tarpok now because my friend Vincent who plays Tarpok wasn't originally going to be in it because Tarpok was going to be played by Norman Comer but then Robert Ashby who was going to play Iktar uh, got a BBC Shakespeare and I know this because I worked with Vincent at the Ludlow Festival. And then I later worked with, no, I earlier, prior to that, I'd worked with Bob Ashby, um, who'd shown me his, some of his, his showreel with his BBC Shakespeare, Pericles, um, and because he later went on to play the Borad for Pennant Roberts, um, but had had to drop out of playing Iktar. Um, he had a wonderful voice, Robert Ashby, and he was a former partner of Louise Jameson. So Robert delighted in telling me on how much he hated Doctor Who. <laughs> but he didn't tell me he hadn't been in, he'd failed to get in Warriors of the Deep. Um, but he hadn't. So Norman Comer got promoted to play Iktar and Vincent came in quite last minute to play Tarpok. That's a bit of Silurian politics for you guys. Uh, but Vincent, I then worked with, I think the year after I worked with Bob at the Ludlow Festival, I was a local, you know, spear carrying college student and all the actors who'd been in Doctor Who were very kind to my tedious questions. I remember my friend Oliver and I, as we watched this, knowing the Sea Devils and the Silurians are going to turn up, going, oh, well, that's the end of the story. You've basically just gone, well, you have some stuff here that can kill the monsters that are invading, which seemed to us massively naff. Now, of course, the reason it's foreshadowed is because the question of whether you use it is the moral dilemma but to us that was the end of the story we just went well they're going to use that to kill the monsters then once you've introduced something that can kill your monsters it's very unlikely that that then won't kill your monsters and you'll do some something else but actually as i say again when i revisited this when i was older the the, the moral dilemma and the doctor's righteous indignation and his refusal to to use it first without thinking of something else does raise some interesting issues and and sort of pumps the drama up so um i still think it is a bit odd to go we've found the solution in episode one 
But then, of course, you don't want to introduce it in episode four and everyone goes, oh, great, okay, in one bound they were free. So if you're going to have something that is inimical to, your, to bad guys, I suppose they did choose the right place, but I think it does mean they, they painted themselves into a corner a little bit. Um, I mean, I love that the baddies have baddie names, They're called Nilsson and Solau. Um, they they behave like baddies, they look like baddies, and Ian McCulloch has a baddies voice. I mean, they both have a baddies voice. Uh, Ingrid Pitt ha has an accent, which is enough to be a baddie in 1984, I'm afraid. Um, he doesn't have a line later, Vorschach, where he goes, I trusted you, Nielsen. You go, why? It was really obvious he was glowering away with his hooded eyes like a baddie. Uh... But, you know, this is when I, when I was growing up, the films that I loved were things like Alien and Aliens and the Doctor Who's were all the season fives. I was, you know, read the books uh, and Horror of Fang Rock, you know, the ones where a group of people are trapped in a place uh, and, and you have to get sad about who dies next. You have Poseidon Adventure, you know, a group of people in a place doing a perilous thing and, you know, every five minutes one of them dies. And it was, I thought that's what drama was. And in fact, you know, I'm... I can sort of live, I can sort of live with drama being that so you know and the, the Satan pit uh, impossible planet it's a bit you know a bit like that. I, I it's 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 a way of doing things that Doctor Who returns to and I for one don't mind even though I understand that there are you know if 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 people if that doesn't float people's boats well it makes mine sail uh, they're doing lots of good door action there to, to Mark Strickson who's always busy as well. The, the, uh, and again, this is very <laughs> even walking up and down corridors. These guys have to do so much of this. The fact that they go to great lengths to make it interesting is is something we must be grateful for. It's an undervalued uh, uh, a skill. Well, it's a redundant skill now, but I think it should, would have been on your spotlight page. Very good in corridors, uh, basic sword fighting, uh, conversational French, and juggling. <laughs> Um, and I remember Vincent coming to my house and uh, uh, and watching a bit of this with me. I made him, uh, and uh, and he said that Nigel Humphreys, who played Bulick, was with his agency uh, at the at the time. So maybe that 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 was you know who I think was probably somebody like Barry Burnett. Um, but um, Nigel Humphreys is still about, and he was in everything. He was in Scum, and he was the he was the lorry driver. She's oh, Solo's done an evil smile. You're bad. Um, yeah, Nigel Humphreys as Bulick um, was the, he was the lorry driver that kills Andy, the first person to first regular to get killed off in EastEnders. Not the first person to die in EastEnders because EastEnders does, begins with a corpse. Reg Cox, played by Johnny Clayton who was one of the planetarians in Mission to the Unknown. Why do I know these things? Um, but Nigel, yeah, Nigel Humphreys was everywhere, always playing sort of, you know, sort of stoic. You know, he was very good value in, uh, in, in you know, because he, he, he could do sort of middle management types, but also lorry drivers. Um, uh, but uh, hasn't been seen for a while. He's turned up at a few, a, a few events that friends have been to, but not, not sort of, fan events and stuff like that but doesn't seem I don't think anyone's ever managed to get an interview with him or a signing or anything which is weird because he was sort of somebody you took for granted because he was on telly all the time 
Uh, clever set here because I think there's only six sea devils and thanks to a mirror there looks like a lot more um, uh, and I like the green lighting and the smoke that's all quite atmospheric um, uh, and this is uh, see this is massive it, it's got a real sense of scale about it and, and water inside uh, is uh, is very impressive stuff um, Oh, and I suppose I've got to be choosing something I like about this episode. What do I? What have I enjoyed particularly about this episode? It's it's weird because it's been it's been it's been it's been chuntering along really. I do I do like that uh, uh, the, the the revival of the Sea Devils. They look pretty cool. Um. I, but it might have to be I might have to choose the corridor acting of of the regulars because they've done some marvelous things with doors and going one way and coming the other I mean they haven't interacted with anybody yet this is the first time they interact with anybody oh when I say run run that's a lovely thing uh and there's a I think that's quite he he kicks this guy in the head doesn't he um when he yeah here we go i think he's about to thwack somebody in the in the face look at this bang uh but uh, that's cool there's i talk about the sturdy sets and i always say that doctor who doesn't have many wobbly sets but <laughs> this is a sea base that might fall to bits uh nice stunt but i don't know i mean i know turlo has recently uh been on a quest to kill the doctor but if 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 I fall if I slip down in my bath or fall over in a puddle and my friends go, he's drowned immediately. I will be furious because it will take you a lot longer to drown than that. But it's a great, it was a lovely shot and a great stunt um, and a good sequence that actually. Um, uh, and you know, setting up a sort of sweaty red light, oppressive, atmospheric. Base under siege. What's not to love? And they've called the third Silurian Tarpok, uh, <laughs> which has saved us all any number of levels of embarrassment. Vincent's not bottom build, is he? Uh, they say, no, it's P Paroli. I will talk to you about Paroli, uh, who was also at a Ludlow Festival when I wasn't there. Oh, and Alistair Mitchell, who is the cameraman in the in the water sequence, which was done at Shepperton, um, because they couldn't get to Ealing, and which is why it's on. Uh, videotape because you could use videotape at Shepperton. Um, Alistair Mitchell is the dad, or was he's dead now, of the woman who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. So Fifty Shades of Grey uh, is connected to Doctor Who via Warriors of the Deep. You heard it here first, folks. Um, right now, I've got to where have I put? Because I've got to pause. I've got to pause uh, before we start again. Oh, here it is. Right, so I'll have to, I'll have to go back on that when we uh, do episode two. I was getting carried away with my Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, uh, well, you'll have to tie me up and whip me in punishment. Ah, uh, so I assume that's what it's about. I've never read it. Um, I, I think, I think I will choose. I don't think it's too glib to choose. Um, the, the. The sort of because and I have mentioned it in previous commentaries about Davison uh, is the sort of is the sort of corridor the A to B acting of the regulars 
who are always finding ways to make that sort of necessary stuff quite interesting. So, and, and you know, when Turlo and the, the Doctor talking about the nuclear stuff, which is which is a bit of exposition, but it's important stuff, you know, they're doing that whilst whilst struggling to open a door and then Tegan opens the door the correct way and then you get the proton. Yes, probably. So they so the conversation on the script is nothing to do with the action going on is rather neatly then put into a scene that's just slightly more interesting, slightly more witty. Uh, and then there was a bit later where Turlo, where Mark Strickson sort of flinched because he nearly got caught by the shutting door. Uh, and I just think they, they keep it lively, especially when they haven't had a chance to speak to another human being in the cast bar you know, Sentinel-6, which is the voice of James Coombs, who is Paroli. More of him later. Uh, so the corridor acting of the regulars is what I am choosing as my favourite thing from episode one of Warriors of the Deep. What has Johnny Morris chosen? My best thing about episode one is the fact that in the future, men wear eyeshadow and cheek blusher, thus suggesting a whole sort of revolution in sort of um, the whole gender androgyny thing, uh, which is wonderful. Well, actually, he does make a point uh, because, you know, I, I, I suppose looking back on it, you know, in my fusty old cardigan and going, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit high camp because it's eighties blusher and stuff. In fact, actually, instead of being a bit of a throwback to the sort of glitzy 80s in fact it might be a very forward thinking look at the fact that gender is 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 certainly not as clearly delineated uh now uh as it is it was betwixt 1984 and you know even sort of 10 years ago or so and that actually instead of being a bit of a sort of um camp misalignment that i sort of mocked in my heteronormative way guilty as charged um it actually might end up being quite a prescient uh, thing to be celebrated that actually people the, the people are comfortable to express uh, themselves in totally different ways and that things that we associate with male and female are actually a bit more fluid and interesting than that. So, yeah, I, I'll, I will go. I will go along with that, Johnny Morris. Uh, that's something that I sort of highlighted as being a bit silly. You've you know, you quite rightly... Um, uh, seen in a in a sort of more positive and forward thinking way on ix i will take that uh uh <laughs> yeah okay good um i'm happy with my choice i'm happy with johnny's choice um uh, i'm gonna have a sip of sip of water there, although actually i uh, be careful because i mean i i could i could drown in that oh. uh well until next time uh hold your breath uh, and i will see you for episode two of Warriors of the Deep. Blub, blub, blub. Okay, um, that's all I have. My, my chance to plug my wares. I have um, lots of Doctor Who stuff coming up. I have uh, um, Genetics of the Daleks might have come out by now. Uh, I have Ghosts with David Tennant and River Song. I have River Song, Queen of the Mechanoids. I have the Fourth Doctor and Leela in. Um, Day of the Comet. Uh, I have the Blogs of Doom in Doctor Who magazine. Get that every every month, and um, I have the Monster Vault. So get all that. Um, and who knows? By the time this is um, this is played out, I'll probably have written another 
20 Big Finish audios, two books, and a load of magazine articles. So I hope you've enjoyed, and uh, cheers. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Jonathan Morris. This podcast has patrons, and I would like to drown them with appreciation by mentioning some of the latest joiners. Chris Bone, Mark Keating, Robert Davis, Scott Pride, Nick Tedston, Nigel Bromley, Jonathan Potter, Richard Patey, David Hughes, Paul Cornell, Darren Rule, David Spofforth, James Miller, Liam Price, Susan Harrison, Robin Groen, Andrew Lester, Jeremiah O'Connor, John McClay, Gavin McLean, Gavin Ware, Peter Burns, Matt Dale, Paula Reynolds, Matt Sawyer, Phil Pascoe, Matthew Kilburn, and John Pettigrew. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. If you would like to get early releases and extra podcasts, bonus material, maybe even a badge and lots of other stuff, uh, please do become a patron yourself. It can start from as little as £3 a month, although if you sign up yearly you get a 10% discount even on that. Uh, And that's at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. A one-off donation is also possible just to keep these things going at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. But of course, I'm just grateful to you for listening. Uh, And if you want to do something that costs nothing, perhaps you could go to your podcast outlet and give this a five star rating uh, and perhaps a lovely couple of words of positive review as well. There's also a Twitter feed, uh, Haydoke Podcasts, and uh, I'm on Twitter as well as at Toby Haydoke. Uh, and there's a website, www.tobyhaydoke.com. But mostly, just keep listening and have a lovely, lovely day.